Welcome to Learning Through Math, the podcast. I'm Laura at I Teach the Why. I'm Karina at Mrs. Cousins 5. Our mission is to inspire ourselves and others to keep learning and improving with passion. And hugs. You can find us at learningthroughmath.com and on Twitter at Laura and Karina. Come and join us on this journey of learning. Thanks for joining us. We are recording this part at the very end of January 2024. And welcome to episode 127, a conversation with Peter Lilliedahl. <laughs> I can't even say that with a, like a straight face. <laughs> We've been waiting excited. a long so time excited. for this episode, <laughs> right? Yeah. And, and it was just like timing and, and trying to coordinate schedules. And so it wasn't, yeah. I mean, but, he's oh, not the man, only busy was- one. You know, we're busy too. Yes. I mean, not gallivanting around the world like him, but, um, uh, but yes, we are there. I mean, listen, you're in for such a treat. This is such an amazing episode. Peter is just fantastic. What a, what an easy, yes, to talk to person. And I, I just, I just could listen to him talk about math all day long. Like it's just, it's, and it's so intuitive. Everything he says just makes so much sense. Yep. Uh, it's just wonderful. Wonderful. Yep. Well, first we want to give a shout out to someone who gave us a review and five stars on Apple Podcasts. And that is Yay. For, the, for the love of math. And I don't know who this person is. So please reach out to us on Twitter and say, it was me. The subject line says, teach like a pirate. Which, I mean, we all love the Teach Like a series, right? Okay. Yes, yes. It says, these two have lots of treasures to share. Oh, that's cute. Pirate and treasures. I get it. Mm -hmm. That that was a good Mm -hmm. pun. I appreciate these pirates navigating the ocean of math education literature. They share nuggets of instructional practices and resources. Their ideas are always easy to implement and truly student-centered. I have truly enjoyed listening to this podcast on my commute to and from school. Yay. Oh, yay. <laughs> well, thank you so much. We're honored that we're, uh, uh, you know, along the ride with you to your commute. Okay. Reflection. Karina, uh, I don't, what is this? Week three or four of me back being back in the classroom? I, I don't even know. Yeah. I, I don't know. It, it, I don't know. And um, I'm just going to reiterate, God bless all teachers, all teachers, because this job sucks at times. I mean, <laughs> it it sucks the life out of you. It yeah. sucks joy from you. And it's mostly not the kids. It's all the other oh, crap no. that you it's have to do. Yeah. So this past week, Monday during my relief time, I had a parent conference. Wednesday, I had a parent conference. Thursday, Mm -hmm. I had a meeting. Friday, we, what were we doing? Oh, SBT. And now I was on the other side of the table, so to speak, for Mm -hmm. SBT, because I wasn't out covering classes. I was talking about the kids in my class. Yep. So... There went two hours of my life that I'm never going to get back. 
And yep. oh, I didn't even tell you, but Friday lunchtime, my co-partner, she also does the math part on fifth grade. She and I had to call parents about the end of the year field trip because um, it's Disney and we needed permission slips in and the deadline and yada, right, yada. So that. we didn't yes. lunch. Yes. No, no lunch on Friday. No. Um, mm-hmm. And the one thing I want to share and to be like on a more serious note, it's about BTC with fifth grade. This is, mm-hmm. okay, I have to think. So the first week I was with them, we did back to school stuff, like, you know, getting to know you. Wednesday was that science diag. Thursday, I left for DC. The following week, we were off Monday. I was with them four days. Then last week, it was Monday, Tuesday. They took the test Wednesday. So I'm not even going to count that. Thursday and Friday. So I've done BTC with them for eight times. And I'm going to tell you, there have been many moments when I'm like, I'm just going to throw in the towel. I'm just going to give up BTC. I I can't, Mm -hmm. I can't. And it was, what's today? Saturday, yesterday at our book club that we're having, I'm, I'm facilitating it after school with the teachers. I said to them, you know, I need encouragement from you all not to give up. It's, it is hard because it's a huge pedagogical mind shift. And Mm -hmm. Well, and, and remember, too, I mean, I did Laura, it. You don't you have know, to do it every day, right? Yeah, I know. I well, I, but I do because of the circumstances around what happens within my class period with push in support and okay. everything. I feel okay. like I do need to give all kids opportunities, and so maybe it's too long. And I also know that I'm also. I'm not starting it within five minutes. So that's another problem that oh. I'm having. And that's on me. Uh, I am walking around. I am giving <laughs> you ready for my hints and extensions, Freddie. I'm like, here's the hint. Yeah. Uh, erase that answer. Because <laughs> it was so wrong. Like, <laughs> Oh, no. That was, that was my big hint. Like, I, I haven't had time to plan effectively. That's, that's probably my main thing. Yes. Do I, yeah. do I have the content in my back pocket? Yes. But that's not the same as doing it in a classroom, you know? Right. right. So that's my reflection. I don't think I have, I don't think I have time to plan effectively either. There's just too much, you know, and, um, especially as I, and I've said, or we've said it as a team before too. all of us, fifth grade teachers at my school, because we teach all subjects, it's mm-hmm. hard to plan effectively for every subject. Uh, so there's that. Uh, and then by the end of the day, you're just done. Like you're mentally drained. So planning doesn't really occur for me very much at the end of the day. You know, no, that's. No, a hundred percent. Because yeah. last night I was asleep by 7.30 PM. I mean, out like a light. I yeah. I am in your August mode of teacher exhaustion of starting the school year. That's how I feel. So there have been so many nights when I'm in, I'm going to bed in my bed by seven and I'm out by seven 30. And then can I just say the traffic on 95 
So this is something you have not had to deal with. In January, I have been late to school, I think three times already. And now think about it. I haven't even been at school in all of January, yeah, right? right? Because of the trip right. and we had the day off and whatever. Three times there have been significant accidents. And I only drive 15 minutes from- yeah, not very far. Like mm-hmm. not even 15 minutes on I-95. Oh my gosh. And the one day I'm like, I'll just leave at a regular time like I used to when I was a coach. I didn't even yeah. make it there until 8.05. Wow. Yeah. And what do I do? I literally walk in, drop off my stuff. Let's go. To, come on over here to the carpet. And then they go to the boards. Like I had, and that, that was actually, that was Monday because I forgot I had a, uh, a parent conference during fine arts. So, oh, I, yeah. Yeah. Well, be and give yourself grace. You know, yes. you are trying something new with new kids, with a new set of kids. And it it's, it's always difficult two, at first. Two new sets of kids. Two new sets. Oh, right. We're yes. departmentalized-ish. You right. Know? <laughs> right. Yeah. You're right. Okay. And I'll did you give yourself grace. time and with maybe like non, non-curricular tasks? Did you do the, did you do those? No, the only... No. Well, I did the 12 days of teaching math, my shirt on that first day of the getting to know you time. So I did, I literally did one day of non-curricular because I didn't have time to do any more. I, I just, right, but, we're already two but, weeks behind the pacing. Calendar. Right. Right. I know. However, I know. I know. <laughs> okay. I know. All right. All right. I made a so just, mistake. Yep. So just throw, but you can still throw them in. You can still do it uh, even on Monday. You can have, you know, because again, you want, I I definitely have seen, even with me, when I do, when I do a non-curricular task, just to like refresh their memories, you know, of like, how do we talk to each other and how do we work together at the boards and what do we do? Like it, it does really help. And I have, so let's go into good news. I've been much better at reflection. You know, after listening again to everything that Mandy was saying in the last episode, uh-huh. I, I really have been trying to give kids opportunities to write down and journal and reflect. And it's, again, it's not every day, right? right. But it's at those moments where they're coming to realizations. So instead of me telling them that when you multiply um, a whole number and a fraction that you just multiply the whole number and the numerator part, I'm having them reflect on that. Uh, we'll share those reflections. Like, what did you notice and how did you do it? And can you put an example down and that, you know, that proves your point that shows how you did it. But um, I'm just really trying to give them, make them more accountable and give them the ownership of it all because it shouldn't be on me. Right. Like as teachers, we always work too hard and it needs to be on them. Yeah. So because we are, we already know it, hopefully. (laughs) Right. Yeah. So, and 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 I'll also say just, just for you also to remember this part is that they still need time to explore with all the manipulatives. So like the last two days we've had, we had tiles out at their desks and they were doing things with tiles with, whole number and, you know, tiling the fractions. And then I let them explore on GeoGebra and like, see what, what a mixed number times a mixed number looks like. And, 
they were so confused and so upset at me because I wouldn't tell them like how the program works. And I'm like, are, are you telling me that when you go on a video game, you don't like just try a whole bunch of stuff or you go right on YouTube and see how you do it all? And some of them are like, yeah, I go on YouTube and I see and I watch how they do it. I'm like, you're lying. You do not. You don't spend hours in front of YouTube watching how to do something. You try it yourself. So try, try. And then they're like, but I'm confused. I don't know how this works. Great. Are you going to so run away from one, that confusion? The GeoGebra, is this the one yeah. that they can just Shows. play around and it'll show it? Okay. It, it's yeah. there was sliders. It's linked. I can show you. Uh, yeah. I mean, I can share the link, but I can share the link with you also, and uh, you can see it. But they just they it's just a slider, and they just change the numerator, change the denominator. Okay. Yeah. But because just, I've only done a fraction times a whole number and a fraction times a fraction, and I was literally when we did adding and subtracting fractions with the last unit. I mean the tiles were all out. They were yeah. near, I mean, I was moving desks near the whiteboard right. so that they could, you know, explore and everything. But I, I'm like, guys, you know, a, a half of a fourth, like take out the fourth. Yes. What is half of this? But yes. it, that all goes back to number sense with fractions, which they have yes. very little none. to none. Yes. I yes. have, I'll have one kid in each class say, oh, well, you know, one fourth is the same as two eighths. So half of that, half of two eighths is one eighth. I have one kid per class. Right. Yeah. Right. No, no we I, did this. I, I, it's funny. You said, you said that because I did the same thing. I said, so like, if you're looking at a third, what's a half of a third? And a lot of kids went right to two sixths. And I'm like, no, that's equivalent. That's equivalent, right? <laughs> to a third. That's not half hey, of it. But at least they knew that. Yeah. Right. And then they could just split it in half and be like, okay, right. it's a right. sixth. All right, right. Tell everyone your good news, please. Well, I mean, there there was good news in there already, but um yes. but the safety patrols went to Washington. So we had to move, shuffle some teachers around for those teachers that were going on the trip and for those right. that weren't. So I got to spend three days teaching in my daughter's classroom. So that was fun. That was so, f she, I, I got to tell you, she was counting down the days since December when I found out that I was going to be Aww. in her room. She's been like, so excited. She was so, it was like almost like Christmas morning for her when I was going to be her teacher, you know, because of course that doesn't, I, I won't be able to be her teacher when she's in fifth grade. So it, she was so excited. I can't tell you. She was so excited. And okay, I think on, on our next episode, we have to have baby girl on and I'm going to ask her what it was like to have mommy as her teacher. Sure. Yeah. 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 <laughs> That'd be fun. She would love it. I'm sure. And, and then we could get it yeah. from her perspective. <laughs> sure. Uh, but what I, what, you know, what was really fun was actually, I mean, the first two days we had to do a, a math assessment on the computer and finish that up. <sighs> but on the, uh, the last day on Friday, I got to do some, we, well, we did clothesline math. So we, we ordered fractions. I had for different fractions for different groups and the conversations that they had were so rich 
So good. So I really enjoyed doing that because, you know, ordering fractions is not something that we necessarily have in our standards, but it's something right. that they're expected to know how to do. Right. Uh, and so what I did with them, I'm definitely going to be doing in a small group with my fifth graders, but it was great. It was fun to hang the clothesline around the room, you know, like the different strings and discuss it. And yeah, it was great. So that was fun. And I think it was fun because I also didn't feel the stress of, I have to be on this page at this, that at this time, you know, like on, on this lesson or teaching this standard on this day, it was more of a, you can do what you need to do. So yeah. I did. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, because you felt free. Yes. Yeah. Which yeah, I, I feel so constrained. Uh, yes, so constrained, yeah. so restricted. It's not even funny. All right. Well, yeah. we've taken up um, a little bit of everyone's time. Way too long. Yeah. I know that everyone wants, maybe they fast forwarded all of this and just got to the, to the good part. <laughs> Yeah, listen, we are not the main show on this one. This is all Peter. <laughs> no. So listeners, now here's our conversation with Peter Liliadal. Enjoy. Listeners, you're not going to believe who we have. We have Dr. Peter Liliadal on our episode, finally on our podcast. We've been trying to get this done for a little bit of time now. Yes, Mm -hmm. Yes, Ned, and already after two book clubs with him, like we're so excited. Thank you, Peter, for coming today. Thank you for joining us. We're so excited that you're here. Oh, my pleasure, and thanks for having me again. It's always a, a joy to talk to the two of you. Oh, thank you. So for anyone who's literally been living under a rock the past few years, <laughs> can you uh, tell our listeners all about you? All about me? All about yes. me. Um, okay, I'm a professor of math education at Simon Fraser University. I'm a former high school math teacher, which is only part of the story. I'm actually a former high school math, physics, and English composition teacher, but math was my main area. Um, I am the author of Building Thinking Classrooms, and I seem to be traveling the world these days, helping people uh, uh, implement thinking classrooms into their spaces. That's um, amazing. What are some of the places you've been? Uh, well, uh, last year we spent 30 days at home in total, or yeah, last year. Wow. Uh, I think we did 150 flights. Um, <gasps> so I just got back from Sweden, Denmark, uh, this in the last since let's say in the last few months I've been to Australia, Hawaii, uh, all over the U.S., all over Canada. Uh, wow. Earlier in the year I was in Norway. I was in Denmark again. I was in Poland for the release of the Polish edition of the book. Um, yeah, I got dates coming up in Beijing, Tokyo, Australia, wow. Qatar. Wow. Oh my god. Peter, gosh. I feel like there's a task in there somewhere. Like you could <laughs> a few right? tasks. Yeah. <laughs> you, definitely. You've definitely hit the million mile club, haven't oh, you? Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Probably a while. I spend a lot of time on planes. Oh my wow. god. But I'm loving it. I love um, everywhere I go I get to meet people who are who are deeply committed to teaching math and wanting to change their practice and 
there's no better audience to to work with than mm. people who really want to work with you. So I, I love everywhere I go. Yeah, that is so true. So speaking of um, like starting all of this, how did this all start? Like for real, because I, I listened to the podcast where you talked about being a high school teacher in a portable, you left the portable. Did you really leave students in a portable? I mean, I guess like oh, 20, yeah. well, 20 30 years ago. Could, yeah, you could do that, right? <laughs> and they were high school students, really, like what was going to happen? Um, <laughs> it was, uh, it, it, it's funny, there is, there's a whole bunch of converging narratives around this, right? Uh, part of it was my own realization in my practice that something wasn't right. Like I was, mm -hmm. my students were, were uh, they were successful on assessments, but they were not able to think their way through anything that was novel. And I was working with pre or with students taking out calculus. So like I was preparing them for university and, and I'm looking at these students realizing that, holy cow, you know, I've, have I actually been doing them a service? Right, mm -hmm. like I'm, I'm helping them to be successful in, in performing on assessment, but am I helping them to be successful for the future? Um, and that was that story about, you know, me walking out of the portable and leaving them to sit there and stew in their own thinking until they actually started to talk. Um, so that's one narrative. Um, and that was, you know, it's interesting. It's only in hindsight that you see how these narratives stitch together. At the time, these were completely dis distinct independent events. Um, that particular narrative got me to start implementing vertical surfaces in my own classroom. Um, mm -hmm. No no research based on that, just trying something different to, to try to create a different environment. Then I came away from the classroom. And then I'm a PhD student. I'm at the university. A few years go by and I'm in a classroom with a middle school teacher who's hell-bent on implementing problem-solving in her classroom and me being there helping her give her the tasks that I think are going to be the ones that are going to work um, watching her work so hard to try to make this successful and having it fail at every turn mm -hmm. and then spending time in that classroom just watching after after she gave up finally you know and no and no discredit to her like she was determined but there came a point where she said okay that's it that's enough and um and then me spending time in that classroom after that point and watching how by and large students are not thinking and again this is this is so parallel to my own experience several years earlier in my own classroom but i'm not connecting these ideas at that moment i'm not i'm just sitting there having this epiphany that students are not thinking um, and then going on a journey to 40 different classrooms and 40 different schools and finding the same thing everywhere I go. Mm -hmm. And then, and you know, I just consider myself so fortunate to have decided to look under the rock of, of thinking. Yeah. Um, and then getting on this journey of how do I change this? How do I, how do I get students to think? And that is coupled with this other realization that I had, which was everywhere I went, classrooms look more alike than they look different and what happened in classrooms look more alike than it looked different and coming to this realization that there's these institutionally normative structures that are that tend to be holding everything in place and you know we talk about classroom norms these were institutional norms and and the realization that maybe maybe 
it's the, the, the normative structures of classrooms and teaching that are, that are actually causing this. Uh, and when I had that epiphany stitched together with the fact that students are not thinking, starting on this journey of how do I disrupt these norms? How do I, how do I re-envision what a, what a lesson, what a classroom can look like within, within reason, right? Like we're still gonna stay inside the four walls of the classroom, we're gonna still stay on the school schedule um, and so on and so forth. But like inside this room, what are things that I can do different? And does that have an impact? And, you know, like I said, I, I consider myself fortunate to have looked under that rock. Mm-hmm. Wow. We're glad you did. Yeah. <laughs> so many of us are so glad yeah. you did. Okay. So you said about how it all started. Now I know that you're revising some things. Mm. So after the book comes out and you have the 14 teaching practices, now you're, you're starting to tweak things. I want to know, how are you choosing what to tweak, what to revise, what to look at now? Oh, okay. Um, so first of all, the, you know, the book, a book is sort of an interesting thing. Um, it's a moment in time, right? right. And, mm-hmm. and that book, I probably finished working on it in 2019. Mm-hmm. Um, or maybe like I did, I did the final edits in in uh, 2020. The book was published October 2020. But I never stopped, you know, pursuing uh, innovation. Um, so how do I choose which practices to keep working on? So first of all, to understand, when I first started doing this research, there was nine practices. So mm. so there was nine practices that I was working on, and then new practices sort of reveal themselves. Uh, student autonomy revealed itself. How we organize the classroom with the furniture revealed itself. That wasn't part of the original agenda. Mm. Um, assessment splits, right? Like it was one sort of thing and then it splits into formative, summative, and um, evaluating competencies as opposed to content, right? Um, so this is a natural part of of just immersing yourself in a space where there's lots of noticing going on, right? Like you go into a classroom and you watch teaching and you're going to notice some things. But the more time you spend, the more things you notice. And sometimes these are new things and sometimes they're nuances on old things you've noticed. And as a result, every time you notice something new, it creates a new avenue for pursuit. coming to where we are now, how do I, how do I choose what to work on? So part of it is the things that I'm not, I never felt were completely done. So for example, meaningful notes, I never felt like I had that one in the can, right? Like, like from a statistics perspective, we went from 20% of students being cognitively engaged with notes and 10% of students were looking back at notes to 60% being cognitively engaged and 60% using their notes regularly. That's a huge improvement statistically, but from an equity perspective, there's still 20 to 40% of kids who are being left out. So mm-hmm. right. I never really felt like that was done. Uh, so I kept working on that one. Um, other times, there are things that reveal themselves to me because I put something out into the world, the world is now going to work with it, and they're going to innovate with it. Teachers are infinitely innovative. And then things come back to me that are these micro moves that make things even better. So case in point, for example, um, 
you know, homework is a dumpster fire as envisioned in normative structures. We worked on that. We transformed it into check your understanding questions. Again, we saw a huge improvement, but there was this 20 to 40% of kids who were opting out. But nonetheless, I put it out there. And then some time goes by and what comes back is that, huh, you know, if we, instead of having these tasks for check your understanding, just sort of in a list, um, putting them into chunks, which I already knew and the data had shown, but then labeling these chunks, mild, medium, and spicy, that wasn't my idea. That came back to me from the field. I traced it down. We started using it. We started to seeing improvements, a language around how to use that and how to position that, and then making sense of that from a sort of theoretical or psychological perspective, um, creating that deliberately working at trying to create a space that I call working on your own together, Mm -hmm. which is sort of a space between working on your own, which is what happens with homework at home, and working together collaboratively, which is what happens at the whiteboards, but this middle ground space where you're taking responsibility for your own work, but you're still immersed with it among your peers. So working on your own together and using the strength of, of collaboration while at the same time taking ownership for your own learning. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, tracing that and, and, and starting to play with that and seeing massive improvements and then innovations around that and then trying to trace that back to where its origin was. I managed to trace it back to like 1998, but the teacher who, who learned about it in 98 didn't, didn't come up with it. They learned about it from someone else, but they don't remember who. Right. You know, like, yeah. so it's like this idea of mild, medium, spicy is, is not a BTC thing. It's just taking that idea and, and then and then using it to make things better so sometimes things come back to me and sometimes um i'm just don't feel like i'm done yeah it's kind of like the big borrow and steal from any yeah. teacher that we <laughs> get mm-hmm. in contact yeah. with right so yeah. um what about the banner method how did that start okay so that one is one of these moments that is that is like I can pinpoint the exact day lesson <laughs> classroom where this emerged. Um, Give us the details. That's the stuff I want to know. Like what grade level at least was it? <laughs> okay. So I was working in a grade 10 classroom in Canada. Um, and the banner method is, is, is not completely new. I mentioned in the book that we want students to steal from each other. Right. We want them to start stealing questions from each other. The challenge is that they are, you know, student work on a whiteboard looks is, can be anywhere. And so stealing becomes problematic. So I'm in a grade 10 classroom uh, and we did, I was there for three lessons. On the Monday, we did a lesson where it was a review of sort of coordinate geometry Um, we were giving them points and they were having to decide what shape it was based on what the points were so they were plotting them and trying to discern what shape was being created by the points and you know this is pretty easy as if everything is oriented a particular way right on a coordinate plane but 
if you if you take a rectangle for example and you rotate it a bit on a coordinate plane how can you actually tell it's a rectangle so they had to come up with reasons and justifications for why it was a rectangle so they had to all of a sudden start using distance formula and recognizing that the the these slopes were uh, negative reciprocals of each other which meant that they were perpendicular and so on so there was all this review that was coming out of this and I'm not really sure why we decided to do that lesson. I think we were finished, she was finishing off a unit and she wanted to sort of bring a whole bunch of things together. That was on the Monday. So that was a pretty straightforward lesson. The kids endured for about 35 minutes and then we got them into their desk doing some check your understanding questions and some meaningful notes. Um, the next day was a Wednesday and she was starting a new unit on quadratics. Um, so we decided we were going to do factoring quadratics. So I, I pulled a sequence. We just created a sequence very similar to what's in the book in Chapter 9. And we went in, and I launched, and I said, listen, so you're going to take the task, and, and as soon as you've solved it, and you know you've solved it, you've got to check your answer, uh, steal the next task from somebody else. And uh, so in we went, and we started doing this. And like this lesson, I have video of this lesson. The lesson was unbelievable. We covered the entire unit on factoring quadratics, in which is a grade ten topic in Canada. Uh, in the in the sixty five minutes I think we had, um, they were factoring everything. But there were some really funny things that happened in the stealing process. So for example, in that sequence, we start with multiplying binomials, right? So they multiply binomials, they get an answer. Right? Then we flip the script. Well, what if this is the answer? What would the binomials be? And so there isn't any direct teaching in this. They're just thinking their way through it. Well, what was funny was there was one group who we started multiplying binomials. And then so they were stealing binomials from other boards. And then I flipped the script. And now we have students who are starting with a quadratic and turning it into binomials. And they didn't realize we had flipped the script, so they kept stealing binomials, for, which were answers, not questions now. They were stealing answers from everybody. And I came out of that and I thought, okay, there's got to be something. I got to do something to sort of differentiate between a question and an answer. Mm -hmm. So on the Friday, I was back in that class, and that's when I introduced the banner. So I just drew a line and I said, the question goes above, the work goes below. Uh, and it just made it that much easier to steal questions because the kids mm -hmm. didn't have to try to differentiate between what was the question what was the answer uh, which was really starkly presented to me on Wednesday that that turned out to be important um, and uh, from that moment on the banner has just worked excellent in certain yeah. types of tasks right. so like it was that sort of moment where everything that the research was telling us was supposed to work was working except there was a flaw Mm. And then the question was, how do you how do you patch the flaw? I love that. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, um, you said that you have videos of you doing this task. Do you have any other videos? Are are they accessible? Are those things coming out? <laughs> because that's that's one thing as a teacher. I mean, it's it's great to <clears throat> read about BTC, but I I just would love to see it in practice. And again. Yeah learn from others and how they've adapted it to a fifth grade classroom or a fourth grade, you know, a third grade, a second grade, just to yeah. see that progression. Is that so, something that you're working yeah, on? Is okay. that Okay, so yeah. <laughs> uh, video 
exist. Now, th- I'm, I'm going to tell you this at my own peril, just so you know. But it's <laughs> um, so in October, we spent a week filming in classrooms. Uh, we filmed in, I think it was 10 different classrooms. Um, and we got video of complete lessons. Um, we worked with a whole bunch of different teachers. I was a teacher in two of the classrooms. So there's video of me teaching a grade one and a grade wow. nine. Oh, nice. Um, so this video is going to be used. So there's a, I have just around the corner, there's a book coming out called Tasks for the Think for the Math Tasks for the Thinking Classrooms K to Five. I there wrote this is, as yes. a question. I was like, are you going to have QR codes with videos? So yeah. that will not have QR codes and videos because that one's all organized around the task. Right, and, right. And how do, we, how do we bring that task to life? And that book is about, okay, so if this is the task I want to use, what's, what do I need to know ahead of time? What's the launch script? And the script right. is there. Um, what, what are all the sort of, we call it creating access, but what are the differentiation things we can do with that task to create greater access? What are the extension scripts? Um, what are all the possible what's the answer to the task what the author answer and 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 then also the student answers what are the answers the students are going to come up with uh how to consolidate that task how to do what does your meaningful notes look like for that task what does mm-hmm. the check your understanding questions look like for that task and so on so there's 20 non-curricular tasks there's 30 thin slice curricular tasks and I co-authored that book with Megan Drew out of Regina, uh, and that's a K to five one. After that one, there will be a six to twelve equivalent, and then comes the video book. So the video uh. book is going to be, um, what does a lesson look like in a thinking mm-hmm. classroom? So it's going to be organized all around a lesson, start to finish, um, and as we talk about, because the original book. It was 14 practices. These are 14 practices that transform a classroom into a thinking classroom. But it was also, and this is the order that you want to implement them in, right. which is not the same order as a le- they occur in a lesson. They're, this is the order that the research right. showed was the best order to implement in based on student uptake, teacher uptake, and so on and so forth. So this new video book is going to be, okay, what are the practices in the order of a lesson and as we're looking at a practice and talking about it, there's going to be QR codes. You want to see what this looks like in a grade one classroom? You want to see what it looks like in a grade five? You want to see what it looks like in a grade 12 classroom? So yes. you're going to be able to, so every practice is going to be illuminated by video from different grades. That's going to be that. extremely helpful. Uh, first yes. of all, Karina and I were blessed to review your K to five task book. Mm. So we have a good understanding of what you're talking about. Uh, we were hoping QR codes are going to be in there, but mm-hmm. uh, now I know listeners right now are going to want to know dates. So here's what I know. The, <laughs> no idea. The K-5 book sometime in the spring, right? March, April, yes. May, something like that. Yeah. And then yeah. the high school book or the secondary book, 6 to 12. I would suspect beginning of next school year. Oh, okay. So, so maybe like fall. Yeah. Okay, fantastic. Now. The QR code video book. No idea. Ah, okay. Okay. <laughs> we tried. <laughs> yeah. But it's coming. That's that's what that's, everyone that's awesome. is 
is looking forward to, I think, the most. And I'm going to tell you that what I appreciated about the new K to five task book that's coming out is all the stuff that you put at the beginning with all the newest research. That's, yeah. that's something that I, I completely loved reading about. Not that I didn't love all the tasks and, and the order and everything, because that's definitely something everybody can use no matter what grade you're in. Right. So my next question for you, Peter, is um, have you been surprised at all at the success of BTC? Like, is this because it's I mean, it it is number one on the best selling book in education on Amazon. Did you know that? Like, it is. bestseller. Yes. I looked it up right before this because I was I was I was actually bragging. My brother is here with his family over for Christmas and I was bragging to him. I'm like, I'm interviewing the bestseller on the Amazon charts. Um, So is are you surprised by any of this? Oh, I'm surprised by all of it. Yeah. Um, You know, like I was really deliberate about how I wrote the book. I wanted to make it really readable. I wanted to make it accessible. and by readable, I don't mean just that it's it's it doesn't have all that you know research babble that that is in a book often, um, mm-hmm. but that it connects to teachers and their lived experience. Um, I wanted to honor the work of teachers. Anybody who picks up that book is already somebody who is is um, is an amazing teacher in the sense that they're willing to grow, right? Um, mm-hmm. So I really wanted to honor all that. So I was really deliberate about that. But who knows who's what's going to catch fire? And you know, you got to remember, we put that that book went was released in the middle of a pandemic. Yeah. So like a book on face to face teaching in the middle of online teaching. Um, who knew? Who knew that it right. would catch on? But I think in hindsight, like I ask people why, and part of it, people say, well, it's readable. Other people say it's research based. Other people say, you know, it's um, it feels real. It, it's doable. There's there's st- yes. stuff I can do on day one, and it makes a difference, right? Like they say all that, but I think I also look at the at sort of the landscape of math education leading up to it, and I think you know there was there was there's been such a momentum in math education for the last, you know, it's been it's been working it for 50 years, but for the last 10 years in particular, there's been tremendous you know, growth in math education, so many good resources coming out, the community coming together on social media and really taking taking ownership of their own professional growth, something that teachers reach out for now rather than something that is pushed at them. Mm-hmm. I, I just think that the timing was right. I'm not sure if this book was released 20 years ago, if it would have landed the same way, right? Like it's, right. I think that there was, there was just so much momentum, so much good work already happening that I think timing is part of it. I don't know. This is year 32 for me. And if I had this knowledge at the beginning of my career, I, I'm, but again, that's the type of person I am, right? I'm the learner. I want to, yeah. yeah, do all that, which by the way, at my school, I'm doing a book club for my teachers again? with my teachers <laughs> on this one. Well, this is at my personal school. We have about okay. 14 people reading the book maybe 15 and you ready for this it's on fridays from 2 30 to 3 30 p.m and i'm time uh, but i'm telling you what the last meeting we had in december there were 10 of us there 
10 wow. of us on a Friday after school. So people are hungry for stuff like yeah. this. And I also want to let you know that on, on Fridays, another Friday thing, this past year, so far in 2023, I cover for the school-based team meeting, which means the teacher leaves the room, they go mm. talk about all their kids that need intervention, and then they come back. And I have all the kids. So I've been bringing them to my room. Since about ah. October, November, I've been doing a, a thinking task with them. Now, these are groups of kids that have never had an experience with BTC before. I did the answers are with grades three, four, and five students. I did yeah. Farmer John with grades one and two. By the way, the grade one, it, that was a hot mess of a dumpster fire, but that's okay, you know, first first time for things. And I, I just yes. wanna let you know, I had children thanking me for quote, doing math this way as they nice. were leaving the room. And I'm just like, and, and what I'm so thankful for is, I don't know how I came across your research, but it must've been in late 2018, beginning of 2019, because in that school year, in the spring of 2019, the 2018-2019 the school year, yeah. I was pulling out small groups with fourth graders and I was doing, I, somehow I got white books. I don't, I don't even remember the beginning of all of this, but I had kids say things like, math class is over, or I can't believe we're done. And, and I literally yeah. wrote it down and I took photos of it. So I had a record of it. And then the 2019-2020 school year, not only was I the math coach, but I was also a fifth grade math teacher of record. And I was doing BTC and dang it, that was the one year I wanted them to take the state test and poof, we went out and nobody took the <laughs> test because that was COVID year. But I like, I was so looking forward to seeing their scores to be like, not na 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 na, but kind of like, <laughs> look at how awesome this works for kids. <laughs> but I, yeah. I kind of have a, yeah. a new, um, a new possibility for that because Peter, as of the time of this recording, I will be back in the classroom full time as a fifth grade teacher of record because of circumstances at my school and teacher shortages. Um, I'm going to be teaching math and science for the rest of the school year. So, you know full what? Time? Full time. Wow. Full time. So I get to put my money where my mouth is and jump into this and I've already you know thought about which things to start with I'm going to be behind in the pacing guide and oh well like that's not what's important to me because I know I'll be able to catch up but yeah well good uh, good for you you know like I meet I meet so many people who work as coaches and consultants who who say I want to get back into the classroom and not just because of BTC, like when you get to step away from the classroom, and I think this is part of, you know, that privilege of looking under that rock, is when you come away from the classroom, you get to look at classrooms from a different perspective. Mm -hmm. And you learn so much. And then you get immersed in all of the other stuff that's going around in the learning, in, in coming out of NCT and coming out of amazing people who are associated with math education in, in, in the US, Canada, and the world. And you get to absorb this because you're not constantly under 
um, the the sort of pressure of the what I call the the immediacy of the urgent. Yes. Mm. Right. Like when you when you're a classroom teacher, you're always dealing with the now. You never have a real good chance to 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 step back, look at it from a different perspective, and then look forward. That's right? Karina. It, it's really hard to do. Yeah. I, I know teachers do it. I, there's an yeah. amazing. I could never do it. I needed to step away from the classroom in order to become a better teacher. I believe. Uh, I'm in classrooms now. I did the count. 2023, I taught 90 different classrooms, um, wow. lessons, K to, K to 12. So, And I think I'm a better teacher now, not just because of BTC, but because I get to take the best of everything I see yeah. and try it. 100%. And I'm kind of like a grandparent in the sense that I get to go into the classroom and spend a day and then I get to leave. Right. And I don't have to deal with any of the fallout or the repercussions or the delays or the pacing guide or... Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so what advice would you give a, a new teacher to this, brand new, picks up the book, wants to dive in, what advice do you give them? Um, so the advice, I, just try it. Just try it, right? Like there is... I think the most, I, I always say this, my book has data and it has stories in it, but that's my data and my stories. They are of secondary importance to the data and the stories that are going to emerge in your classroom. But in order for those to emerge, you have to try it. And it's, you know, my data and my stories may give you the impetus to start, but it's your data and your stories that are going to keep you doing it, right? So just, just start. I can promise you, you're going to have you're going to have highs, you're going to have lows. There are going to be things you're going to see that you've never seen your students do, and you're going to love it. Mm -hmm. And there's mm -hmm. going to be new challenges that emerge for you because, okay, you know, that's not a behavior that you see when students are sitting in their desks, and now i got to learn how to deal with that behavior. But it's going to be good, and you're going to get this new data, these new stories, and it's going to, it's going to allow you to keep moving forward. The book gives you pointers. There's a community of people out there. Find your people. Mm -hmm. Join one of the Facebook groups. There are so many good ones, regardless of what grade you're teaching. The main one is amazing. There's also one specific to grades and curricula. So find one of the Facebook groups, join that. They're incredibly nurturing. It's, yeah, just, just start. For someone who has been doing it for a while, what would you what would, what advice do you give them? So, you know, and I learned this advice from teachers actually. So the advice I'm going to say is go back and read the book again. Mm. Um, the first time you read the book, you're going to be struck by the big ideas, and mm -hmm. and then you're going to move yourself forward. But you're going to overlook there like we, like I talked about earlier. Like when you go into a classroom, you're going to notice things. The more time you spend in the classroom, the more things you notice. The same thing is true with the book. The first mm -hmm. time you read it, you're going to notice things that are going to get you started, and then you're going to if you go back and read it once you're up and running, you're going to notice things in the book that are actually going to solve problems that have emerged for you that you didn't pay attention to the first time you read because you weren't aware of those problems. Mm -hmm. The number of teachers that tell me all the time, you know, it's like I, I launched, I ran into all these problems, I'm trying to figure out how to solve these, I go back, I read the chapter, and you're already talking about how to avoid that problem in there and then how to fix it. And But I didn't notice it the first time because it wasn't a problem that was relevant to me at the time. Uh, yeah, go back, read the book, listen to podcasts and learn about some of the new stuff. Um, there are podcasts out there where I talk about all the new research on on consolidation, 
meaningful notes and check your understanding questions. Um, yeah. So, yeah. We'll, we'll link as many as we can in the show notes because yeah. I've probably listened to 90% of them so far. <laughs> <laughs> because No, but you're, you're so... you're. You're so right in that yeah. in read the book again because I remember the first time we read it as as a as our book club, uh, the thing that really struck most of us in that in that first time reading it was the assessment piece. Like, how do we keep track of all of this data that we're going to be we're going to have to keep track of, and then. The second time we read it, I mean, Laura and I even commented on this. It's like, oh, that's uh, that makes sense now. That I can see it better. I that's not. It doesn't seem as like a big deal anymore. So it just it was just so funny that 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 seemed to be such a place that we were blocked. You know, that we we were we were unsure of. And then when we read it again, it just after some experience, it just it just felt more uh, doable. Yeah. So yes, I think and that's great this advice. And this is the nature of a book, right? Like, it's a book on professional practice is really, it's it's almost like it needs to exist in two parts, right? Like, here's what you need to know to start. Yeah. And now that you're up and running, here's what you need to know. But then yeah. you put it into a book, and people, you know, it it doesn't work that in that linear fashion. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm wondering about your website because I've noticed it's been under construction for a little bit. And I understand because, yeah. you know, there's only 24 hours a day in a day, Peter, and I know you're super busy and we can't thank you enough for spending this time with us. But I was wondering, maybe you could put a video, maybe like a elementary and a middle and a high school video to give us a little taste of. Teaser, teaser. A um, teaser. Well, we might. <laughs> Uh, the new website, the, the website is almost ready for release. The new one. It currently doesn't have video on it, but it certainly has potential for that. So, um, yeah. Okay, good. That's a good point. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. Thank you. We first, I still have to wade through all of the video and figure out what we got. Uh, so listen, just pick three. Uh, we're all the listeners. I'm sure are completely confident that no matter what you put up, it's going to be good so that we can even see what's good and what's bad like i hope the videos aren't perfect oh no they're yeah. not <laughs> <laughs> because we know that's not what a classroom is like a classroom is right never perfect yeah i often say that when i go in and do uh, i when i go into these 90 classrooms i always co-teach with a teacher i find co-teaching to be a much more effective form of professional growth and and it, it just makes it a more enjoyable experience for everybody involved. Um, and I always say, like, the worst thing that can happen today is that everything goes as planned. Because mm. if that happens, we are not going to learn anything today. Mm. So, you know, things are going to go wrong. But I can also promise you this, that the kids are not sitting around the dinner table tonight going, whew, the teacher really screwed up the consolidation today. <laughs> like, that's, that's not something we have to worry about. Right. And it's true because when I first did the answers are with this one third grade class, I had one student that, you know, that kid didn't get the marker or something and basically threw a tantrum and went and sat on the carpet and all of this. And I, yeah. I did the um, veteran thing, not a rookie move. And I chose to ignore that student for the moment. Right. Oh, yeah. But as the other students were 
we're figuring things out. You know, that kid moved a little closer to the that group. And then, you yeah. know, I turned my back again and that kid was a little closer again. So, yeah, did it work perfectly? No, but we have to try different things, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Do you okay. have advice oh. for those kids who are still reluctant to be a part of it? Because I, I still feel like I still have some that are just unsure and i i think it has to do with their own math identity right that they're that they don't like math that they don't feel like they are successful in math and to be a part of a group that might understand it in a different way is is difficult Uh, like i have in mind right now two kids in my classroom that for them they still back away from the boards they still don't always you know push themselves and insert their thinking right any advice for that (coughs) Um, well, reluctance comes in a lot of different flavors. So when you first launch, there's going to be an element of reluctance, which is just like, okay, we're just going to wait for this to pass, mm-hmm. right? Like that sort of reluctance. Like, what's the point of committing to this? This is the teacher's, you know, this is just a flavor of the week. They're trying something new. Last week it was journaling and math. This week we're standing at the whiteboards. <laughs> Next week, who knows what's happening, right? Like, so the kids, there's that reluctance sort of, because they don't know how committed you are, mm-hmm. right? And if they if this is something they're not super f- comfortable with or like, then you know they're just going to try to wait it out. And when they and then there comes a point where they realize that this is okay. There's no waiting this out. Usually it's two Mondays. If you do it all week and then you come back the following week and you're still doing it, they're like, okay, this isn't going away. Um, then there is a reluctance that comes from. And you don't see this in younger kids, you see it in older kids, a reluctance on their self-assessment of how they learn best. Mm. And um, they're almost always wrong about that. What they are confusing is learning for over with performance. Mm-hmm. So they have a perception of how they best perform on tests. Um, and this is about learning. How do we actually get you to learn more and better and deeper and understand um and sometimes they need to actually see that oh this is going to actually lead to performance and they actually need to see that oh this 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 leads to i actually understand what's going on rather than having to just cram for the test and try to get good marks Mm -hmm. um and sometimes it it comes down to them realizing that huh i don't I don't have to study as hard and so on and so forth. Some of them are going to hold out the entire year and, and they'll participate, but they'll still go home and rewrite their notes and do every practice question in the textbook and so on because they believe that that's how they learn best, but it's really how they perform, how they, how they prepare for performance, not actually how mm-hmm. they prepare for learning. Mm-hmm. Um, then there's reluctance that's based on anxiety. Uh, and that anxiety can come from a whole bunch of different sources. There's a, the self-efficacy piece. It could be, it could just be a social anxiety, general, and it could be social anxiety specific, right? So, uh, general is I'm just not com- I'm I'm not comfortable working in groups. It's always hard for me. Usually, that one we overcome pretty quickly because students who are uh, shy, they they enjoy group work. They don't enjoy trying to get into a group and what this gives them is an ability to work in groups without that stigma of trying to create a group mm-hmm. uh, so that sort of general anxiety we can often overcome um, 
the specific, that could happen on any particular day where there's a student who's anxious working with a particular other student or in a particular pair. And we just got to manage that. We, you know, it's, it's, we just got to, it's today. You just got to yeah. suck it up and, and get through it and, and so on and so forth. The one that comes from low self-efficacy, which is the one that sort of you alluded to, Karina, yeah. this one is a little harder to overcome. Um, self-efficacy is an interesting beast. Um, so self-efficacy, for those of you who are, are new teachers, maybe haven't learned about self-efficacy, it was all the rage like 20 years ago, but <laughs> nowadays we yeah. talk about things like growth mindset and, yeah. and stuff like that. But self-efficacy, um, is a student's belief in their ability to do something. Mm -hmm. um, and it's a belief in their ability to do something. So this they may actually be really capable, but not believe that they're capable. Uh, or they may not actually be capable and have that, have that realization reinforced daily that they're not capable. So how do we overcome this sort of low self-efficacy? Um, there, the research shows that self-efficacy is incredibly hard to change. My research is showing that there are certain milestones on the journey for how to change someone from having a low self, like a negative self-efficacy to a positive self-efficacy. And it's unlike growth mindset, which is binary, this is a continuum, right? Like you kind of work on it like a fuel gauge, let's say, right? Like it starts out low and then it, you pump it up and pump it up and pump it up and it just gets higher. And there's certain milestones, these sort of markers along the way. And the first one is this. They have to meet a teacher who believes in them. Mm. Um, so, but here's the rub. Students don't listen to what we say. They listen to what we do. Mm -hmm. So how do we convince a student that we believe in them? Not through our words, but through our actions. Right? Um, Things like random groups actually communicates to students that we believe in them. It's interesting, fascinating when we interview kids and they'll say things like, oh, she thinks we're all capable, otherwise she wouldn't do random groups, things like that. So that's the first thing is always ask yourself, like, what is it that you're doing to show students that you believe in them? Now, it's sort of a double-edged sword because what you're trying to do is empower them without trying to make them feel less than. Right. Mm -hmm. So if you pull them aside and say, OK, let, let me work with you on this. Like, are you sending the message that they're capable or are you sending the message that they're not capable? Right. And, that they and need I'm not, additional but, support. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like this is a can of worms. It's really complex. So I have an example of this. I had a uh, I was working in Hawaii. I was in a high school classroom. There was a student with really low self-efficacy. I'd been in that classroom for, this was my third day. I was trying to get this kid to even just look at me when I would interact with them. So on the third day, I kind of rigged the deck in such a way that I gave out all the random cards, but I kept one back and I gave him that one. And when he went to his board, he was by himself. And I came over and I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry. I must have messed up. Uh, I guess you and I will be partners today. So created a space where I was working with him in a sort of accidental way. And by the end of the lesson, he was ahead of every single group. He took pictures of the board and he came back and he was a train. He was a changed person for the rest of the year. Uh, right? Like, wow. so how do we, 
the students listen to what we say, yeah. they don't listen to what we do. Okay, so that, the first milestone is they have to meet a teacher who believes in them. Mm-hmm. The second milestone is they start to believe in the teacher's belief in them. So I'm going to give you something to do. Um, they may themselves not believe that they can do it, but they believe in you. Mm-hmm. They believe that you wouldn't have asked them to do it if, if this was impossible. So we call that trust. And trust is a really fragile thing. So if you regularly or even intermittently give them things that they're not capable to do, the trust isn't developing, right? So it's, it's that sort of how do I always ensure that the things I'm asking them to do that they're going to be successful at. Um, and then they start to trust in, in your belief in them. And then eventually they start to trust in themselves. And those are just some little pointers right. around it, but it's it's such a delicate dance working with these students. How do we empower them without making them feel deficit? Yeah, yeah, and especially when they've gotten to fifth grade and all they've done is been spoon fed, yeah, the whole yep. time. All right, yeah. uh, looking at the time, I have one last question for you, and it's about the BTC conference in Arizona coming up this mm. July. <laughs> I'm going on the total assumption that we're going to see you there. Oh, yeah. Okay. I'll be there. <laughs> and are there any special things that you know of that we should be looking forward to? Um, so last year at the BTC conference in... Um, Indiana. Franklin, Indiana. Mm-hmm. You know, I have this team of BTC facilitators in the US that were there and they had sort of featured special sessions, longer workshops, Mm -hmm. different grade levels and so on and so forth. Um, That team is coming back. They're an amazing group. It's now a team of five. I know, we know. But I'm also also bringing my Canadian team of facilitators. And so, and there's 10 of them. And so these wow. these spotlight sessions are now always going to be co-led by two team members. Um, and so we're we're creating this sort of cross-border diversification and and so on and so forth. So I, I'm super excited about that. Uh, that the team of people who are going to be presenting, who who often are ambassadors for building thinking classrooms, are, are going to be. It's going to be a more div- a, a wider range of people, um, and there's going to be that collaboration, which I'm super excited about. Um, it looks like you know the I think registration or the the submission opened yesterday, for people can submit to give talks. And anybody who's listening to this who's who's interested in attending, I really urge you to to give a talk on your on where you are in your journey. Um, Every single person who implements BTC is an expert on some aspect of it. And there's someone out there who is less expert on it who would love to learn from you. Um, and your stories are real. Your stories are real. They're much, they're, they're so important that you're telling about your journey and where you are in your journey and, and that sort of sharing. Yeah. So I don't even know if you know, but I was one of the facilitators of the roundtable discussions for coaches and admins at the the conference and thankfully I only had coaches show up because you know you have to speak to admin and coaches in two totally different ways and by the end of that session we 
a few of us walked over to Chase's session. And by the end of Chase's session is when the Facebook group for math coaches was already done. (laughs) That's amazing. I know. So yes, I, I, I hope everyone that's listening is going to be able to make it there, including Karina. We're going to figure out logistics for her because of her children and their schedules and all of that. But I'm going to make sure that, we both fly out to Arizona. <laughs> oh, I can't wait to see you there. It, well, great. you know you're going to get another hug from me, but I'm sure Karina will. Oh, I know. Too. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Oh, Peter, thank you Absolutely. so much for your time. We cannot thank you enough, for real. Yes. Oh, I can't thank you enough for, for, first of all, having me, but for, for creating this space for teachers to learn. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much. Karina, anything yeah, I, else? I mean, there, there are no words. No, there are no words. I'm just so grateful. I'm so grateful to you, to the book, to just all the changes that have happened because of it and everything that, you know, just uh, just thank you. That's, that's all. There's no words. Thank you. <laughs> My pleasure. I don't think wow is a big enough word for this one. There isn't a word. There, no. there really isn't. And again, like you said in the beginning, we could just talk to him all day, listen to him all day. It's like having a conversation with your best friend and the time just goes. Like we were in such flow that I don't even think we noticed the time going. Yeah, it was. uh, Yeah, there's no words. I, I. I we could have a conversation with him every single day. I I'm, and still learn more and get more and it just. He's, he's great. So thank you again, Peter, for taking the time out of your very busy schedule to come on and, and chat with us. We loved every Sharing minute of your it. knowledge and expertise. Yeah. And oh my gosh. It, yes. Uh, listeners, here is your challenge for this week. If you haven't read the book yet, pick it up, start reading. It is The Game Changer. And if you have read it, pick it up again. I'm on my, I think this is my fourth read through. And every time Mm -hmm. I read it, I get something else out of it because there's so much in there that you can't see it all, you know, the the first or second or third time you even read it. Right. Thanks for joining us. We'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast and give us a five-star review on your favorite podcasting platform. We invite you to join the conversation on Twitter by using the hashtag learningthroughmath. We'd love to hear your feedback. Make sure to tag us at Laura and Karina. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. To you too.